My name is Professor Rachel Bodell, and you're listening to The Bible in a Year, The Story Podcast, where we encounter a living God that is calling us to live a life from, with, and for Him. This podcast is designed to help you listen to the one connected story of the Bible and understand it perhaps just a little bit better by learning from biblical scholars that have helped me. We will read the Bible out loud and explore how the one connected story of the kingdom of God is unfolding and how we fit into that story today. This is day 128, and I'm reading from the NIV version of the Bible, 1 Kings 10, Ecclesiastes 6-8, through and Psalm 8. 1 Kings 10 When the queen of Sheba heard about the fame of Solomon and his relationship to the Lord, she came to test Solomon with hard questions. Arriving at Jerusalem with a very great caravan with camels carrying spices, large quantities of gold, and precious stones, she came to Solomon and talked with him about all that she had on her mind. Solomon answered all her questions. Nothing was too hard for the king to explain to her. When the queen of Sheba saw all the wisdom of Solomon and the palace he had built, the food on his table and the seating of his officials, the attending servants and their robes, his cupbearers, and the burnt offerings he made at the temple of the Lord, she was overwhelmed. She said to the king, the report I heard in my own country about your achievements and your wisdom is true, but I did not believe these things until I came and saw with my own eyes. Indeed, not even half was told me. In wisdom and wealth, you have far exceeded the report I heard. How happy your people must be. How happy your officials who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom. Praise be to the Lord your God, who has delighted in you and placed you on the throne of Israel. Because of the Lord's eternal love for Israel, he has made you king to maintain justice and righteousness. And she gave the king 120 talents of gold, large quantities of spices and precious stones. Never again were so many spices brought in as those the queen of Sheba gave to King Solomon. Haram's ships brought gold from Ophir, and from there they brought great cargoes of almaga wood and precious stones. The king used the Amaga wood to make supports for the temple of the Lord and for the royal palace, and to make harps and lyres for the musicians. So much Amaga wood has never been imported or seen since that day. King Solomon gave the queen of Sheba all she desired and asked for, besides what he had given her out of his royal bounty. Then she left and returned with her retinue in her own country. The weight of the gold that Solomon received yearly was 666 talents, not including the revenues from merchants and traders and from all the Arabian kings and the governors of the territories. King Solomon made 200 large shields of hammered gold. 600 shekels of gold went into each shield. He also made 300 small shields of hammered gold with three minas of gold in each shield. The king put them in the palace of the forest of Lebanon. Then the king made a great throne covered with ivory and overlaid with fine gold. The throne had six steps and its back had a rounded top. On both sides of the seat were armrests with a lion standing beside each of them. Twelve lions stood on the six steps, one at either end of each step. Nothing like it had ever been made for any other kingdom. All King Solomon's goblets were gold, and all the household articles in the palace of the force of Lebanon were pure gold. Nothing was made of silver because silver was considered of little value in Solomon's days. The king had a fleet of trading ships at sea along with the ships of Haram. Once every three years it returned, carrying gold, silver, and ivory, and apes and baboons. King Solomon was greater in riches and wisdom than all the other kings of the earth. The whole world world sought audience with Solomon to hear the wisdom God had put in his heart. Year after year, everyone who came brought a gift, articles of silver and gold, robes, weapons and spices, and horses and mules. Solomon accumulated chariots and horses. He had 1,400 chariots and 
thousand horses, which he kept in the chariot cities and also with him in Jerusalem. The king made silver as common in Jerusalem as stones and cedar as plentiful as sycamore fig trees in the foothills. Solomon's horses were imported from Egypt and from Ku. The royal merchants purchased them from Ku at the current price. They imported a chariot from Egypt for 600 shekels of silver and a horse for 150. They also exported them to all the kings of the Hittites and of the Arameans. Ecclesiastes 6. I have seen another evil under the sun, and it weighs heavy on mankind. God gives some people wealth, possessions, and honor so that they lack nothing their heart desires, but God does not grant them the ability to enjoy them, and strangers enjoy them instead. This is meaningless, a grievous evil. A man may have a hundred children and live many years, yet no matter how long he lives, if he cannot enjoy his prosperity and does not receive proper burial, I say that a stillborn child is better off than he. It comes comes without meaning, it departs in darkness, and in darkness its name is shrouded. Through it never saw the sun or knew anything. It has more rest than does that man, even if he lives a thousand years, twice over, but fails to enjoy his prosperity. Do not all go to the same place? Everyone's toil is for their mouth, yet their appetite is not satisfied. What advantage has the wise over fools? What do the poor gain by knowing how to conduct themselves before others? Better what the eye sees than the roving of the appetite. This, too, is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Whatever exists has already been named, and what humanity is has been known. No one can contend with someone who is stronger. The more the words, the less the meaning. And how does that profit anyone? For who knows what is good for a person in life during the few and meaningless days they pass through like a shadow? Who can tell them what will happen under the sun after they are gone? A good name is better than fine perfume, and the day of death better than the day of birth. It is better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting, for death is the destiny of everyone. The living should take this to heart. Frustration is better than laughter because a sad face is good for the heart. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of pleasure. It is better to heed the rebuke of a wise person than to listen to the song of fools. Like the crackling of thorns under the pot, so is the laughter of fools. This too is meaningless. Extortion turns a wise person into a fool and a bribe corrupts the heart. The end of a matter is better than its beginning, and patience is better than pride. Do not be quickly provoked in your spirit, for anger resides in the lap of fools. Do not say, why were the old days better than these? For it is not wise to ask such questions. Wisdom like an inheritance is a good thing and benefits those who see the sun. Wisdom is a shelter as money is a shelter, but the advantage of knowledge is this. Wisdom preserves those who have it. Consider what God has done. Who can straighten what he has made crooked? When times are good, be happy. But when times are bad, consider this. God has made the one as well as the other. Therefore, no one can discover anything about their future. In this meaningless life of mine, I have seen both of these, the righteous perishing in their righteousness and the wicked living long in their wickedness. Do not be over-righteous, neither be over-wise. Why destroy yourself? Do not be over-wicked and do not be a fool. Why die before your time? It is good to grasp the one and not let go of the other. Whoever fears God will avoid all extremes. Wisdom makes one wise person more powerful than ten rulers in a city. Indeed, there is no one on earth who is righteous, no one who does what is right and never sins. Do not pay attention to every word people say, or you may hear your servant cursing you, for you know in your heart that many times you yourself have cursed others. 
All this I tested by wisdom, and I said, I am determined to be wise, but this was beyond me. Whatever exists is far off and most profound. Who can discover it? So I turned my mind to understand, to investigate, and to search out wisdom and the scheme of things, and to understand the stupidity of wickedness and the madness of folly. I find more bitter than death the woman who is a snare, whose heart is a trap, and whose hands are chains. The man who pleases God will escape her, but the sinner she will ensnare." Look, says the teacher, this is what I have discovered, adding one thing to another to discover the scheme of things. While I was still searching, but not finding, I found one upright man among a thousand, but not one upright woman among them all. This only have I found. God created mankind upright, but they have gone in search of many schemes. Who is like the wise? Who knows the explanation of things? A person's wisdom brighten their face and changes its hard appearance. Obey the king's command, I say, because you took an oath before God. Do not be in a hurry to leave the king's presence. Do not stand up for a bad cause, for he will do whatever he pleases. Since a king's word is supreme, who can say to him, what are you doing? Whoever obeys his commands will come to no harm, and the wise heart will know the proper time and procedure. For there is a proper time and procedure for every matter, though a person may be weighed down by misery. Since no one knows the future, who can tell someone else what is to come? And no one has power over the wind to contain it. So no one has power over the time of their death. As no one is discharged in time of war, so wickedness will not release those who practice it. All this I saw as I applied my mind to everything done under the sun. There is a time when a man lords it over others to his own heart. Then too I saw the wicked buried, those who used to come and go from the holy place and receive praise in the city where they did this. This too is meaningless. When the sentence for a crime is not quickly carried out, people's hearts are filled with schemes to do wrong. Although a wicked person who commits a hundred crimes may live a long time, I know that it will go better with those who fear God, who are reverent before him. Yet because the wicked do not fear God, it will not go well with them, and their days will not lengthen like a shadow. There is something else meaningless that occurs on earth. The righteous who get what the wicked deserve, and the wicked who get what the righteous deserve. This too, I say, is meaningless. So I commend the enjoyment of life, because there is nothing better for a person under the sun than to eat and drink and be glad. Then joy will accompany them in their toil all the days of the life God has given them under the sun." When I applied my mind to know wisdom and to observe the labor that is done on earth, people getting no sleep day or night, then I saw all that God has done. No one can comprehend what goes on under the sun. Despite all efforts to search it out, no one can discover its meaning. Even if the wise claim they know, they cannot really comprehend it. Psalm 8 Lord, O Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth! You have set your glory in the heavens. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the work of your hands. You put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds and the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. Lord, O oh Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. 
So let's really zero in on Ecclesiastes. First Kings 10 points back to the story. It may feel like deja vu, but really we talked about it in Second Chronicles with the Queen of Sheba and Solomon. And again, it's pointing to the gift of wisdom that God bestowed on Solomon, but also in this exchange that's taking place, we continue to see that tension in the shadows of an emphasis being placed on Solomon, who he is, what he has, especially that end part about chariots and horses from Egypt, all things that Deuteronomy 17, 16 through 17 said for kings, for human kings as a no-no. And then in Ecclesiastes, I know this book can feel either frustrating or maybe it's refreshing. It can be both for me at some times, but here we go. So Marty Solomon really zeroes in on Ecclesiastes 7, verse 1 through 4, which compare a name and perfume, saying a name is better, a good name. Probably because of my marketing background. This makes sense to me. While the experience is important to building memories and contributing to a person's identification of a brand, for example, the brand itself is more comprehensive than the experience. So the reputation, the name is more comprehensive and has more value than a single experience. I think the name in this case is God's, not ours, and it has to do with our ability to put his name on display. But not just that, because that would be like an experience. In a way, it's also our ability to be representative leaders, reflectors of him by remembering, obeying, helping others navigate to Jesus for atonement, interceding not only for the sick or hurting, but for the rebellious in prayer, and being prodigally generous to those in need and caring for our neighbors, community, and creation in a way that reflects him. Perfume is an intense experience, sometimes really positive, sometimes really negative. Whether we love it or hate it, smell is the strongest of all of the senses, but its intensity fades and becomes forgettable without continued effect. And interestingly enough, perfume or some sort of smell can become habituated, meaning we can't discern it any longer if, it, if it's present all the time. The author is focusing on the name. This is where wisdom and meaning are found. Marty Solomon describes perfume as representing vanity and a name as something more like character. I found this interesting, too, because I sometimes introduce personal branding by asking my students if they think personal branding is more like a paint or a stain. If you're a DIY, a do-it-yourself kind of person, you know paint is something that goes over and covers a surface like a wall or wood. And a stain, while it goes over the surface of wood, for example, it often brings out the character of the wood grain and notches. The stain has an effect, but it also brings out the character of the wood. I see a personal brand more like a stain. The point is not to go straight to the corporate dress of headshots and business cards, not that these are a problem, but it's to consider the who and why first. As we discuss, Ecclesiastes is a book of wisdom that emphasizes how life can seem meaningless, fleeting, and unfair, and if the purpose isn't clear, the why has to be answered, or we chase like a hamster on a wheel, the perfume, the things that excite our senses and mind, God's legacy over our destiny is what we are a part of. I think that's so interesting to think about. It's focusing on God's name, not our own. The next part of chapter seven talks about the importance of trade-off decisions. If and when there is a conflict between picking the house of mourning or the house of festival, the party to pick the house of mourning, 
Marty Solomon describes how picking sacrifice, even if it's just our presence for another who is hurting, is more important than the pursuit of our personal pleasure or celebration. The author seems to be asking the question, what remains after I'm gone? A good name is all that is left. For me, the inference is that God's legacy is what's left over my personal destiny. I think back on our story so far, and God told Abraham, this is so key to me, God told Abraham, I will make a name for you. God is speaking to Abraham, meaning God will care for and make a name for us, and he wants us to be about bearing his name and being his brand ambassadors. Should we party? Uh, Yes, but if there is a choice and a critical moment, if it is about priority, it is to love the Lord our God with all our heart, obey, and tethered in this commandment is the self-sacrificial willingness to care for our neighbor, to yield our own, in air quotes, right to party for the sake of showing up for another person's needs. I think back to when I used to interview students for leadership positions on a business program study abroad trip to uh, Europe. The students were between the ages of 19 and 22. I would ask them hypothetical questions related to drinking alcohol. You see, in the United States, it's legal to drink alcohol at the age of 21. But in Europe, it is younger. Some countries are 16 years old and others are 18 years old. I asked questions to determine if a student leader was or would be willing to voluntarily yield their right to drink alcohol if they knew other students were not comfortable or did not want to drink alcohol on a free night. I was looking for student leaders with a heart that prioritized the needs and wants of others in the group versus focusing on their own right to do something, to party or be at a festival, right? There is a maturity, I think, in recognizing that you might have the right or power to do something, but to choose to yield that right to be present for someone else's needs and wants, to make them feel safer, more comfortable, included, to be sensitive to the fact that others may have stories and situations in their lives or even convictions that could use our support. A student leader We don't lose anything by giving up our right to drink alcohol or go to a single party for the sake of another who God has put into our lives or the Holy Spirit has convicted us to be present for in lieu of our right to party. Yes, we live in a culture of FOMO or YOLO. On one hand, it's fun and silly, but on the other, we have to make sure the festival, the party, doesn't have a hold on us in such a way that that we cannot be present for another's needs. Putting God on display, being and becoming a kingdom of priests with a heart of Shema, a spirit of Shalom, it's our first priority. Again, to me, this doesn't mean we don't party or go to the festival. That is clearly part of God's ordered rhythm, a gift for our lives, which we also see being highlighted in Ecclesiastes. But we have a sensitivity to conviction of the Holy Spirit and the needs of others in our spheres of influence. This is one of the many ways where our representative leadership can be lived out. Pray for me, I'm praying for you. My prayer is this, found in Philippians 1, 9 through 11, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. What is this fruit? It is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. 
Galatians 5, 22 through 24. See you tomorrow.